You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Thank you so much for being here this morning. If you'll take your portion of God's Word and open up to Jeremiah 29. It's in the Old Testament. It's a prophet. We're going to look at his words today for us. And what a great joy to be here in, uh, in Canada. And somebody sit on a hymnal, or what happened there? What? All right. And, uh, and it's great to be here in York Region and Toronto. Uh, what a great city you have. What a great area this is. It's wonderful to be with uh, Paul and Sue. And uh, you have a great pastor. Did you know that? Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. That was, that was really sad. Okay, that was sad, sad, but I made a mistake, I made a mistake, because I didn't say you have a great pastor and wife, because in my church, when they mention the wife, they get bigger paws, okay, so let me try that, let me give that a second run at it, because I know you don't want to miss an opportunity to encourage, so you just have just a spectacular uh, pastor's wife and the other guy who's with her, That's how, that's how it is in Lancaster, right? so, uh, but it's great to be here. We have uh, just enjoyed becoming their friends and, um, and really love them. They are kindred spirit, and it's just great to be here. What a great privilege it is to be here and, and what God is doing in, uh, in your church and in this area, and, uh, and uh, I'm on sabbatical. Uh, they, uh, they said after a number of years, get out of here. We're tired of you. Take a break. Um, and so uh, not really just to, just being encouraging, just give me a little couple of uh, weeks off this summer. And, uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't like to let the moss grow under my feet. So um, I jumped in a car 16 days ago, and, and this is the last day. We go home tonight. I'll be sleeping in my bed at home tonight. This will be a miracle. And, uh, but I've gotten the chance to visit 19 churches and visit with pastors from uh, Pittsburgh to Ohio, through Indiana, uh, up into Illinois, over to Michigan, and then into the great country of Canada. Yeah. Woohoo! And uh, I, this place has a special place in my heart. Uh, my wife and I, when we got married 30 years ago, we honeymooned in Montreal. Wow. <laughs> awesome, right? Yeah, now, let me just, let me help you. Okay, we got married two days before Christmas, so we were up here in the winter. Okay, yeah, my wife was questioning even marrying me at that point. I think it it warmed up to like five below. It was outstanding. Uh, But we had a great time, and we just loved being here. And I have to tell you, I just... (laughs) The spirit of Canada has come over me like I am a Timmy fan, okay? So if anybody has any contact with the Timmy Corporation, get one down in Lancaster, okay? I, I went out and bought K-cups yesterday to bring some home, so. Uh, so I've been traveling, and, uh, but this kind of year has been a year of traveling for me. Starting 12 months ago, 
Um, I have been traveling a lot. Starting last summer, I uh, took a trip to, uh, and preached down in uh, Trinidad, was in Israel this year, Nicaragua, uh, throughout the Caribbean, India, and then just recently, just a few weeks ago, coming back from Spain. And uh, it's been an amazing year, racking up the frequent flight. You, you know you're in trouble when you go into the customs area in Philadelphia and the custom officer knows you by first name. That's a problem. It's even worse when he sees you again and he says, so how was your son's wedding? That's really a problem. Uh, and so it's been a year of travel. But of all the places I went, the most fascinating for sure was India. Just an amazing place, and God is doing some amazing things. The spontaneous expansion of the gospel throughout India the last 35 years has been unbelievable, and the church is on the move. And those people, they think like totally different than us, and maybe that's why God is doing some amazing things. I remember talking to a, um, uh, I had the opportunity to be with 10 of the major church planting movement leaders throughout India. These people don't talk about reaching thousands. They talk about reaching millions. And so I was uh, with one of the pastors, a pastor of a church of 40,000, George. It's just amazing. And, uh, and so he uh, was asking me some questions. His name is Chadwick, and he asked me some questions. He said, so, Pastor Jamie, how many people are in your city? I said, well, you know, and he's dealing like with 37 million. I, I wanted to impress him. So <clears throat> um, 135,000 in the city. But, but, but in our county, we have 600,000. Like that impressed him. Uh, and he said, oh, then you, you must have the burden. You must be so excited about reaching 60,000 people in your area. Like, no, no. Six, what? He says, Pastor Jamie, don't you understand? The spiritual tipping point to taking a whole community is 10%. You have to reach, you have to reach 10% of Lancaster. You, the burden is on you. I'm going, Chadwick, cool your jets, cool your jets. What do you mean? He says, the tipping point for revival to happen, you need to reach and establish 10% of that community for Jesus Christ. And then God really shows up and does something. And that's the burden we all have here in India to reach that 10% and then watch God really happen. Is that like foolish? Is that naive? Or is that a vision that we should like grab hold of? I mean, you got a great city here. I mean, this Toronto is world class and and Markham is just unbelievable. A lot of people. I mean, it's the traffic here is like unbelievable. (laughs) And like you're not building this one anymore. You're building this way but no pressure, Paul. There's 380,000 people here in Markham. You know, get with the program, dude. <laughs> would it be that God would use Harvest York Region to spark the revival for 38,000 people to be followers of Jesus Christ fully established so you could reach the tipping point and see God really do something here? But the fact of the matter is, to see that happen in your city, you, you, you couldn't hire enough staff to do it, could you? I mean, you, you'd run out of money. Uh, you couldn't build enough buildings to, to, to bring them to church. I know it's important to bring them to church, 
But just figure that even if you had a church the size of a thousand seat auditorium, you'd have to do 38 services on one weekend. Chris would be in a wheelchair when it was all over. There's not enough programs. There's not enough soup kitchens. There's not enough clothing closets that you could run to reach that many people. So how do you reach the tipping point? How do you, how do you, how do you get a hold of that vision of seeing 38,000 people in your city affected? I think the secret is in a little verse in First Peter. I'm not going to preach there, but I just want to... Uh, just refer this to First Peter 3, we, get, we have the, kind of the secret of, of the gospel, the secret of evangelism. And, and Peter just put it this way, put in your hearts, but in your hearts, honor Christ. In the, in the New American Standard, or as I guess I got to say it here, the New Canadian Standard Version, um, it, it says, and sanctify Christ in your hearts. Let Christ be so so permeant in your life, so powerful in your life that your life is so possessed by Jesus Christ that you walk in a certain way because then he says to you, and be prepared to make a defense so that anyone who asks you, you can give the reason for the hope that's in you. We don't have to go to them. We should just be living a life in such a way that is so powerful and, and the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is so evident in my life, in my relationships, and who I am, that they are asking us, what's the hope that's in you? That's the secret. So how do we do that? How do we affect our city? I think Jeremiah can help us in Jeremiah 29. This section is interesting. You know, the prophet Jeremiah um, came to the people of God to call them back to God. And Jeremiah writes a letter to what was known as the exiles. At the beginning of their exile, and it's kind of this. And you probably remember this from your study of the word of God. The, the nation of Israel, there was a civil war and the nation was torn in two. In the north was Israel, in the south was Judah. It was torn in two because of the ungodliness of its leadership, but then it really went astray, and basically because they either worshipped other gods or aligned themselves with other nations and took for themselves ungodly wives or husbands, the Spirit of God, the hand of God went off both Israel and Judah, and God allowed some things to happen in judgment. Now, he was merciful, and he sent prophets to them to call them back to him. But he allowed, he allowed some things to happen to him. In, in, in Israel, it was really rough. Assyria came in, raped, pillaged, looted their nation, just destroyed the nation, and it scattered the nation. But in Judah, something other happened, something interesting. Uh, Babylon, into the, to the east of them, they came in, and they stripped the nation of all its up-and-coming leaders, all their key people, and took those people and brought them over to Babylon to make them Babylonians. Now, the, the biblical record tells us a little bit of what happened. That's what, what, what Jeremiah is referring to here in the first couple of verses there. He, he talks about this deportation, this exile that takes place. It happened during, during King... Jeconi, and really his name is uh, Jehoiachin, 
not to be confused with his father, Jehoiakim. His father got himself in trouble, aligned himself with Egypt. God took his hand off of that. He was gone. And when Jehoiachin becomes king, he is 18 years old. He will reign for three months and 10 days. And then Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon will come in and take over Judah. And take the people out of Judah and bring them over to Babylon. The record tells us that he will take approximately 11,000 people. We think about 11,023 to be exact. Who were they? The princes. They were the noblemen. They were key soldiers. They were craftsmen. They were silversmiths. They They were the cream of the crop. And he just basically takes out all of the future leadership of them and takes them over to Babylon. And we're told that the poorest of the land remained. And so they will go. And God says that they will be there for 70 years. Well, Jeremiah comes to him to give them a word. And it's bad enough that they're now in exile. They're, you know, captive. But, but Jeremiah comes to him not just to say that they're going to be there for 70 years. But while you're there for 70 years, there's a task that God has for you. Well, what's that? You are to spiritually influence Babylon. What? The people who kidnapped us? The people who took us? You've got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. You see, here's something we have to always remember about Israel and about us. Is that when God chose Israel, he didn't chose them just to like make them a special nation. Say, you're a favorite of mine. No, 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 no. They were chosen and they were blessed to be a blessing. They were to represent God to the nations. They were not just to be a blessing to their nation, but God wanted them to represent him throughout all the world. Just like us. That's why he saves us and he leaves us here. He doesn't save us and then just take us right up to heaven. He leaves us here as a representation of his blessed son to be a gospel effect in the people around us. We're to be influencers We're to help transform this world. We're help to propagate the gospel. And so the same was for Israel. And so Jeremiah will give them a word, and the word will be this. Listen, seek the welfare of the city. What? Seek the welfare of the city. And in seeking the welfare of the city, it will fare well for you. Now, the city he's talking about is Babylon, but in our context, it's wherever we live. It's, it's the community we live. It's the building we live in. It's the cul-de-sac we live in. It's the neighbor to the left or the right. It's the place where we work. It's this. It's Markham. It's Markham. This church is to seek the welfare of the city. And in doing so, it will fare well for you. Because we live in a hostile world, do we not? They lived in a hostile world. They were exiles. They were out of their home. They were in a foreign land with a foreign people who hated them and was trying to twist and convert them to be Babylonians. And here Jeremiah comes to him and says, look, I want you to influence them. Seek the welfare of the city. Let's look at the text. Let's start at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. And multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst or your diviners deceive you and do not listen to their dreams which they dream for they prophesied falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. So what's it going to take for Harvest York Region to seek the welfare of Markham and we reach the spiritual tipping point? Jeremiah gives it to us. Here's the first thing. There's got to be an understanding about a sovereign involvement in this whole thing. Look at the text. After some initial historical data there in verses 1 through 3, verse 4 is a fascinating thing. It says... To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Well, you can think that God is just uh, giving them a word of just uh, reminding them of the consequence of their sin. They have sinned. They did not repent. They did not come back to God. And therefore, God brought judgment upon them. And so he got out his whooping stick and they're basically exiled to Babylon. No, 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 no. Do not miss this. This is not just an announcement of a consequence they have already figured out. This is God... Telling it like it is. And even though these exiles, where they were, was a product of their disobedience, God is telling us through the prophet that there is a providence, there is a sovereign purpose behind their exile. This is a divine purpose. They are now in Babylon. This is no accident. This isn't, this isn't even an act of their will and their sinfulness. This is because God has determined that this is what he needs to do and what he needs to do to change the world for his glory. And they should not flatter themselves as thinking their sin got them to Babylon. They had to understand that it was God and his purposes. He had it all figured out. He knew they would sin. He knew they would get a consequence. And he knew he was sending them to Babylon. Because God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. Have you been talking about that around here, I guess? Well, that was a, that's amazing. And much like Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he went the opposite direction. God's will is never trumped by our disobedience. Oh, that was sick. God's will is never going to be overshadowed by anything you or I want to do. His will will be done. Always. Because he is sovereign. And that word sovereignty, it's a big word, but, but here it is simply. Let me just make it. God is in control. God orchestrates. God moves. God works. God directs. God places. Nothing trumps God. Nothing trumps his will. It's always going to win out. And when God has a plan, even though it may not look like our plan, God is in control. God is in control. And for you and I to seek the welfare of the city, we have to get a hold of this. We have to understand that where I am and where I'm about and and the relationships I have is because God wanted me there. 
I'll be a pastor for 30 years this September. And here's one thing I have noted. I've learned a lot of things, but I'll tell you the one thing I've noted is that Christians are the most discontented people in the whole world. And which flies in the face of the sovereignty of God. We're complaining about where we live, where we work, the neighborhood we're in, the teachers we have, the boss I have. And God forbid we go as far as the wife or the husband we have. And that, 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 that lack of contentment is just, is just an affront to God's sovereignty. And if we are going to seek the welfare of the city, all of us in this room who name the name of Jesus Christ, we have to come to grips with the fact that where you are and the things that you're about and the people that God has placed you in is exactly where God wants you. You are part of a divine purpose and plan. And when we embrace that and we lean into that, and we start understanding that the cul-de-sac you live in or the building that you live in or wherever you are is exactly where God has placed you for his divine purpose. And like the, the, the exiles, he says, because I have sent you there. I have sent you there. Now, I'm, I'm originally uh, from New York City. Um, so please don't hold that against me. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, my Yankees are helping you guys out. I, I want you, you know, it's been a, it's a, it's a tough season. You, you, the Blue Jays are killing me all right now. Okay, thank you for losing last night and Yankees winning. We picked up a game last night. Okay, I'm sweating it out. But, but uh, you know, uh, but I'm born and bred in the city. And, uh, and uh, after a little time in New Hampshire, I, we, we moved back to minister in New York City. And, and I, I, you know, I was a little concerned about my wife, Chris, and, you know, she's from central Pennsylvania, girl, and going into the city, I was just concerned her, how she would fit. But she was great. I mean, she's always been great. She bloomed where she, plant, uh, she you know, blooms where she's planted, and she embraces it, and she just loved the city, enjoyed the city. And then a number of years later, we, we got a call to uh, Lancaster. Now, I, I, I got to be honest with you, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to go. Matter of fact, I wanted to go. We were candidating at a church in Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly shove. <laughs> My kind of city. And I was candidating at a church. Matter of fact, I was in the right. I, I thought we had it. We're going to Philadelphia. I'm going to be my first time a senior pastor at a church in Philadelphia. It's not as good as New York, but I'll take it. A good second. But a 60-year-old woman in the church I was candidating didn't like me, and she went sideways, and basically she, she, she co-opted the whole church to vote against me. I would have been in that city if it wasn't for that 60-year-old woman. And second place in the, the door prize was Lancaster. Now, Lancaster, you got to understand, that's, that's farming country. They got, like, Amish there. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of scary. Women with taffeta dresses, bare feet, work in the fields. Okay, it's a little scary thing. They got buggies there, and they got cow manure. Okay, you're looking at a guy who loves taxi cabs. Breathe that toxic waste in. It's just, ah. And, 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 and so I didn't want to go. Make it worse, 22 months after going there, the church rebelled and they kicked me and the, and the elders out on our keister. God, what are you doing? I, I, hey, God, I told you 22 months ago I shouldn't have been here. If you would have listened to me, none of this would have happened. And I remember 18 years ago this summer, 
walking the shores of New Jersey, pleading with God to get me out of there. And the pastor that I was speaking with at the Bible conference, he, he laid into me pretty good. He said, God's not going to He's not going to move you. He is not going to move you until your heart moves and you realize that he is the one who sent you there. And when are you going to start loving those people? When are you going to start understanding that he has sent you there and it's for his purpose and God has a reason for you being there? And when I had that, when I had that moment, that little Jesus moment and come to Jesus minute and, and got my heart right that it was his sovereign purpose that I was there, God really started doing something. Really started. Is that you today? Maybe the reason why he, you're not seeking the welfare of this city is that you, you've got a contentment problem. But really, you have a control problem. You don't realize that God has you exactly where he wants you. But there's a second thing here I want you to see, and that's some specific instructions. It, it, this will help you. You know, the enormity of, of how do you reach 38,000 people? Well, you do it one person at a time, one household at a time. You're just one person. He's not giving you the 38,000. He's giving this whole church. But how do you do that? Well, he says it here. He says the first thing is build houses and live in them, which I thought that was kind of an interesting statement. Build a house. Well, why wouldn't you live in it? Why would you build a house and like pitch a tent and not live in it? That doesn't make sense. But what Jeremiah is making the inference here is he's saying build a house, live in it, become a homeowner, become a, a community dweller, engage, don't isolate. Live among the people. There's a big difference of living in a home and living in a hotel. I know. I've been living that for 16 days. It's been cool dropping my towel in the middle of the bathroom and not having to worry about it. Tonight, I do that. I get slapped upside the head. (laughs) Tonight, I return to the home where I am responsible, where I am a part of the community, where I am involved, where I am in close proximity to the people I'm trying to reach. Live among them. Know the people's names. Know their kids. Know who they are. Study your neighbors like they're a missionary project. Know their stories. Get involved. Participate. That, might, that may mean that some of you be involved in some things that may make you feel uncomfortable for a moment. Look, we're to be in the world, but we don't have to become of it. But we're never going to influence it if we don't get in close proximity to it. Be hospitable. Inviting, kind, outgoing. Engage, engage, engage. Build houses and live in it. Become part of the community. Come in close proximity. That makes sense. But then look what he says. Plant, plant gardens or vineyards and eat their produce. This has to do with your work. The first and foremost is have a job and contribute to your needs. Be a contributor. Get a job. Make sure you don't become dependent on the Babylonians. It sort of makes sense. Most of the Israelites would have been agricultural. And so, so even farming would have been, would have been, a, would might have been something new or, or something innovative for the Babylonians. And they would have looked to the Jews and they said, boy, look at you, how you can farm. You're really good at farming. Look at the fruit. Look at the produce you have there. That's tremendous. And take care of the needs of your family. But then run those businesses in such a way that you invite other people. And maybe you're a business owner. And you grow your business. Let me just say this to you. Your pastor and your elders will love me saying this. You own a business? Here's my, my, my spiritual word to you. Grow that business and make a boatload of money. 
so that you can use that money for kingdom purposes. And so you can influence, influence, and you can contribute. And if you work and you have a job and you are an employee, you work hard. You show up on time. Showing up, if you start work at 8 o'clock and you show up at 8 o'clock, you're late. You should be, we should be the ones who are known as the people who are 110%, the people they can count on, the people if they ever got rid of us, the business would collapse. So they're talking about us and they're saying, why does he work so hard? He doesn't own his business. He's working as if he owns it. What is the hope that's in you? Be a contributor. You just write this down, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. I I love this passage. uh, Paul writes Timothy to, to share with the people in Ephesus. He says, look, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Let me help you with that. Somebody who was rich was they had a roof over their head, they had clothing on their back, they had food in their belly, and they had a job. Let me just say to you, this is true in America, it's probably true in Canada, everybody in this room is rich. We're all rich. So it says that not to be conceited in in these riches, don't fix their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, the one who provides our riches, who richly supplies all things for us to enjoy. And then he instructs them, do good, Be rich in good works with our wealth and what we have. Be generous people and be ready to share. For in the doing so, we build up treasures in heaven. What's that? Well, people. Because we affect them, we touch their lives. And so it's a good work. We have a good work ethic. And then look what he says in verse 6. He says, take and marry. I mean, for you singles, that's that's an encouraging word right there. Get married. You find, a, find a husband, find a wife, get married. But what he's talking about here is, is, the, is the quality of their marriages. To have a marriage that is a model for the community. So that they look at you and they say, what kind of marriage is that? That is something that's another, that's an alternative lifestyle right there. We've never seen a marriage like that. You know what I'm talking about, men? To be husbands who are loving leaders who love their wives and lead their homes and they're engaged. So much so that the women go, they come to your wife, they say, where did you get him? Where did you get him? I've never seen time. I, could, you, could you have him hang around my husband? I wish he would be like, I wish my husband would be like him. And let the jealousy just run amok in their hearts. And wives, wives who are submitted and supportive, but still strong and satisfied. So much so that the other men come to you, husbands, and they say, holy mackerel, where'd you get her from? What, what, what are you giving? What would what, you do to her? I have never seen a woman like that. She's strong, she's confident, but she's so encouraging to you, and she's so submissive. Where did you find that wife? I'm telling you, the power of our witness is in our households. We will never win the debate over same-sex marriage. Never. It's done. In America, it's a tsunami that's running from East Coast, West Coast, and all around. It's over. But I'll tell you where we'll win it, by the quality of our marriages. Because they can never duplicate that. But our problem is, dear ones, listen, is that evangelical Christian marriages, we have nothing to speak of because still 50% of our marriages end in divorce. Shame on us. 
We have no testimony. We have no word. we got to start drilling down and start raising up godly families and godly marriages in our churches so that they will start asking us what's the hope in our, mar- in our marriage and in our homes. But then look, it's not just the marriage. It says have kids. But not just have kids. Have these kids, grow them up, give them so much wisdom so that they'll know the godly husbands and wives that they should choose. Be generational in these kids. Be good parents. Raise up godly homes. Now listen, godly parents do not guarantee godly children. I get it. I get it. Some of you here have an ache and a pain in your heart because you've, you've grown up your family and your kid didn't, didn't, isn't walking with Christ. I understand that. But listen, we will never have godly homes if we don't have godly parents. And so I'm not going to count on us doing the right things and God doing a work in our families. Warren Wearsby in his book, Becoming a Servant of God, says this. You know how you grow a great church? You have great families. And you know how you grow great families? You have a great church. It's an interesting fact, he says, that a family and the church are built on the same things. Love, truth, and discipline. You need all three in the church for the church to be strong, and you need all three in the family for the family to be strong because the church is but a family of families. We need love. We need, we need dads and moms passing the blessing to their children. Let, that kid should, not, should, should have never a doubt that you love them. Hug them and embrace them and give them a kind word and build them up so they always know that the, the most important people in their life is you, parents. And then truth, we get them in the word of God. We, we, we teach them the word of God. We have them around the people of God and the word of God. And we're teaching it to them as they rise up, as they sit down, as they lie down. We're communicating the word of God. We're talking to them in the car. We're talking to them after they lose a ball game. We're around them. With the word of God. And then we discipline them. You spare the rod, you spoil the child. They need order. They need discipline. They're looking to us. Look, there's one thing I didn't have to teach my son. How to sin. He knew naturally how to do it. It just came naturally to him. I think his mother helped him. But he just, it was natural. (laughs) And God has entrusted us to discipline our, let me, let me just say I, I'm, I, got, I got one more message to preach, and then I'm leaving. So I'm going to meddle a little bit. It's okay. I have the spiritual gift of meddling. <laughs> Parents, listen to me right now. A misbehaving, disobedient child is not cute. Oh, he's so cute, isn't he? As he terrorizes, he blows the church up. Oh, he's so cute, isn't he? He is not cute. He needs to be disciplined. Listen up, parents. Listen. A little girl with hardly any clothes on her is not fashionable. It's immoral and it's not modest. And she's not going to learn to be a modest, respectable girl unless parents, we are involved and engaged. And dads, let me tell you right now, you're the key to that. You turn the hearts back to the, to the dad, and the children is one. Malachi 4, 6. And so dads, you hold the line and say, you are not wearing that clothing. That dishonors God. When you're 18 and you're out of here, you can, you can go do whatever you want. But while you're in my house, this is how you're going to act. This is what you're going to wear, and we're going we're gonna to toe the line. 
Why? Because the rest of the world is looking at our families and they're saying, I don't see, there's nothing different. They talk all the, they go every Sunday morning and Saturday night, they're at church all the time, but there is absolutely no change in that family. And we have no witness. And then he says, multiply, 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 multiply. Be productive, be fruitful, let your influence influence. And these instructions were given to the Jew coming into a hostile area of how to seek the welfare of the city. Get in close proximity. Contribute to the needs of that community. Have credibility from your home. And then be consistent and grow and multiply and expand your influence. And they'll ask you what the hope that's in you. There's a third thing. Verse 7, he says, supplication needs to be invoked. He says, look, seek the welfare of the city that I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on behalf. Pray. Hey, God, these people kidnapped me. They took me out of my home in Jerusalem. I'm in a hostile area, and you want me to pray for them? Yes, pray for them. Pray for them. You are redeemed. I got your back but you are a reflection of my love and my grace and my mercy, and I am calling on you to cry out for your city and for your ungodly, unregenerated people who desperately need a relationship with Jehovah God. Uh, Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me. The Lord gives us an invitation. Call to me. And just watch and see if I won't do mighty and great things. But you got to call to me. And I, I could go talk a lot about this whole issue of prayer. But let me just give you a couple of just the practical things about praying for your community. One is uh, all of you live probably in a neighborhood or in a building or somewhere, and you have people around you. Well, get to start praying for them. W- walk around your neighborhood as you as you enter your building, and even you go up floor by floor by floor. Think about the people in your hallway if you're in an apartment. Uh, but start to understand and start praying, praying for them, praying for them, asking God to work. My wife is great. I mean, she's got like our whole neighborhood of 30 homes in our neighborhood. She's got it all charted. She's got names. She knows the names of the kids and she knows the names of the dogs. And I'm praying that God would take some of those dogs and, and, uh, and, and praying for their cats. And I'm pr- asking God why he even created cats. I have, that's a, that's a question for heaven. I have, and she's got all, I, I just, that my, I, that's a mind blower for me. Like 30 homes, I, honey, I can't take that. I just, I, I just focus on Jim across the street, Jim Albright. Jim's a great guy. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, people like this, if they only would become a Christian, they'd be a great Christian because they're just great guys to begin with. He's just so helpful. He's such a nice guy. And I just watch out for Jim. I always make my way over. I try to think of ways to talk with him and that kind of thing. He's a Phillies fan. I got to pray for his soul. I mean, but I go over there and I pray. I talk baseball with him and all that. And then I watch. I watch for opportunities. You know, Jim's a creature of habit. He has a truck and he parks his truck in front of his house. And, and he's out and about every day. But I noticed a couple of years ago that Jim's truck didn't move for three days. And I said for Chris, something's wrong with Jim. Something happened with Jim. 
So I grabbed my iPhone, I popped up the hospitals in Lancaster, and I started calling the hospitals in Lancaster. I got Lancaster General Hospital. I said, excuse me, do you have a Jim Albright there? Yes, I'll transfer you to his room. And he picks up the phone, Jim, what's happening? Jim, 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 your, your car didn't move for three days. I'm not stalking you, Ben, but, I, I, yeah. but dude, the, the car didn't move. He said, well, my pacemaker, we had to, I said, I said hang tight. Hang up, hopped in the car, ran up there, and I listened to me. I walk in his room, there's Diane and Jim there. I said, man, why, why, I, I, I cannot believe you didn't tell me that something, I am like the, I am the neighborhood priest, dude, you need to tell me these things. <laughs> and then I said this, Jim, can I pray for you? Absolutely. You know what I have found? The hardest, most unregenerate, evil person that you have in your life when some kind of difficulties come, if you look at them and say, would it be okay for me to pray for you? I have yet to have anybody say no. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for people. Ask them if you could pray for them. Well, I... I, Time is running. It's fleeting, but I got to get to these last two points quickly. The fourth thing is there's a sad insight that, that Jeremiah gives. It's in verses 8 and 9, and he says this. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to them. For their prophecy is false. It's false. Even though they're doing it in my name, it's false. It's false. It's false. It's false. Listen, there were those who went over with them to Babylon who were so self-proclaimed prophets. They weren't like Jeremiah actually sent by God. They were saying, look, we have a word from the Lord. And here, here was their word. He was saying, look, 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 look. We are the chosen people of God. God would never let us be here for all this time. We're going to get out of here quickly. Don't, don't succumb to these Babylonians. Don't hang out with them. Don't talk to them. This is not our home. Our home is back in Jerusalem. We're not here for long. We're out of here because God would never let his people suffer. And Jeremiah said, you do not listen to them. You are there for 70 years. Seek the welfare of that city. Build houses, grow your family, grow your business, be a contributing member the, so that they will ask you, what is the God that you serve that you could do that in this evil place? There were kooks there in Israel or in Judah. They're kooks. And they're kooks in our, in our Christian world. We got kooks. I mean, we're, we got some kooks. We got them. A couple of years ago, remember, we had this guy down in America. I, I, I even hate, I hate to claim him. His name, Harold Camping. Did his nonsense ever slip up here? You got some of his? I'm, I'm sorry. Well, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Let me. Can I get another Timmy's before I leave, even though I know where I, Okay, this guy, this guy claimed that he knew the date. It was like May 21st, the Lord was returning. That's interesting because I read my Bible. It says, no one knows but the hour nor the day that he's coming back. Now, here's the thing that just was amazing. Not that that guy, he's a kook. He's a what? He's a kook. He's a kook. He, he died. I think he's got it cleared up now. But there were people who sold their homes 
They sold everything. They moved out to where he was. They were, they were living in trailers and in, in RVs and that kind of thing. They're, they're as kooky as he is because they listened to him. They were deceived. I hold, I hold them more responsible than the kook who preached that stuff. Here, here, here. Here's another kooky. I, mean, I, I, hope, I hope he's from America too. I, I mean, what, what do we got down there? Um, uh, he he smile. He's very. He's good looking. He smiles a lot, and he says this: that you can have your best life now. You have that? Yeah, heard of that guy? Yeah, he's a kooky. Kook. He's a he's a kook. All God's people said he's a kook. He's a kook. This is not our best life now. Heaven is our best life. This is not our best life now. We will suffer in this world. We will experience pain. We will experience difficulty. There will be bankruptcy. There will be cancer. There will be brokenness in this world. Why? God allows suffering to come in the people of God's life so that we get to prove the superiority of the life lived in God. Our suffering becomes our display cabinet of the power of God in our lives. And so if you're here and you're suffering, there's nothing wrong with you. God has, has chosen that. So that his power can be formed in your life. And so that you can be a testimony. You can bear up under it. And you can say, my grace is sufficient. He can work in my life. Don't ever let Smiley Boy trick you to think that this is your best life now. It is not. Heaven is. And then there's another. He, he's a kook. The other one, they, but there's also a kook. And they, and, and they say stuff like this. Listen. We need to isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. We can't get around the world. We can't. We have to keep ourselves clean and washed from the world. So don't get involved. Don't let their kid. Don't let your. Don't let your kids ever be around them. Oh, they may be over there and they may see something on TV or they may see people drinking alcohol. It's like, ah, don't get around these people. Isolate, isolate, isolate. And then they even do it in the church. They, 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 they're suspicious of people in the church that they're not holier enough. They're kooks. And they're killing our opportunity to seek the welfare of the city. And Jeremiah said, do not listen to them. Become discerning. Caution, caution, caution. Now there's one last word. That's verse 10. And I call it a sure incentive he says this to them. The Lord says that when 70 years has been completed for Babylon, then I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you, and I'll bring you back to this place. Listen, you are my chosen people, but I'm sending you into exile for 70 years for a purpose, a divine purpose. So seek the welfare of that city. And while you're there, influence them. Have a, have, a, have, a, have a godly household. Be a godly worker. Involve yourself in their lives. Show them that even in living in an evil world, you can live above that because I am with you and I will never leave you or forsake you. But you have my word, my word as the people of God that someday you will come home to me. Friends, we live in this world for a moment in time. And then comes that great and glorious day when we get to go to heaven. This is not our world. This is not our home. This is not our final resting place. This we are just passing through in a moment. 
but we have dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, just let me say to you that this message today has really been to the believer, the person who has made that commitment to Jesus Christ, who came to the place in their life that they realized they were a sinner who was in need of a Savior who realized that they couldn't save themselves, that they were far from God, that they were, they were away from God. They needed to be rightly related to God. And the way that that would happen is they had to have their sins forgiven. And so they came to faith in Christ. They, they heard the story that the scripture tells that Jesus Christ, the son of God, as we sang, came to this earth, died on the cross, and he took the wrath of God. And when he did that, he satisfied God's demand that there would be a sacrifice. Someone had to die. Either you die or Jesus dies. Jesus died. And by faith, we take the forgiveness of our sins upon us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah for that day when I went from death to life, when I came out of the camp of the condemned and I was placed into the fellowship of the forgiven. Hallelujah. And if you're here today and you've never done that, oh, I plead with you. I plead with you. Do not leave this place without getting right with God. But this message today has been for the believer. And our hope is this, that some glorious day, the heavens will open and we will be taken with the Lord and we will be with him forever. And I believe it. I believe it that that could happen today. I, I, personally, I just, I hope it's after. Well, I, I got one more time to preach and I've started this message. I really like to preach one more time. And, and then we're going to leave. I'm going to Niagara Falls. So after Niagara Falls this afternoon, the Lord can come back. But if he were to come back right now, how glorious. But you know what? It may be another 10, 20, 30, 70. It may be another 100 years. So what does God want me to do? Well, he says it here. Complete the work for Babylon's sake. Complete the work for Markham's sake. Complete the work. Because you have a sure incentive that someday you will get to go to heaven if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you know what I say to you? Seek the welfare of the city, and it will fare well for you. How do you do that? You have to be convinced that God has you here for a divine purpose. Maybe that's where you got to start today. And then you have to start having the kind of credibility You've got to start to draw close to those that God has placed you in. And then you have to pray, cry out to God for Markham. Don't listen to those deceivers who will tell you, oh, we'll be out of here, or you don't have to suffer, you don't have to do that. Listen, that's nonsense. We are here to occupy till he comes, and he is coming. And wouldn't it be glorious that day when we look our Savior in the eye and he says, so i got to ask you a question. Yes, Lord. Did you seek the welfare of the city that I sent you to? Yes, Lord. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Father, we come to you today heavy-hearted. We got a big task here in Markham. 38,000 people would be the tipping point. It's not going to all happen at once. It's going to happen life by life, household by household, family by family, employee by employee. But the people who could begin the revival is in this room right now. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that they will be motivated and moved today 
Lord, you are the God of this city. We believe it. And we believe in great and mighty things are still yet to come. Do it, God. Do it in this place. Use Harvest Bible Chapel of York Region to stir the waters of revival in this place. And Lord, may it begin in each of us today. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.